Welcome to The Fully Lived Life, a podcast for those who are longing to pursue the full life and want to break free from anything that holds them back. Listen in as two friends, a psychologist, Dr. Mary, and a life coach, Jillian, talk about life, love, and purpose through the lens of faith, science, psychology, and life experiences. Well, hello, we're back uh, with another episode of the Fully Lived Life podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about another opportunity to equip, encourage, and empower others to live their best lives. Yes, I am so excited too. Yeah. Who came up with that beautiful tagline? (laughs) Well, I have to admit... It was actually my editor. Oh, I had all sorts of other titles for my book, and they were actually pretty lame. To were they? Honest. Can you give me a lame one? Um, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. The heart to our father. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> Would you buy that? <laughs> that is so lame. I'm sorry. You know, that's one of the books that ends up in that bargain bin. You know. I know. Uh, I'm glad your editor talked some sense into yes, you. Yes, he was very good. So here we are again to talk about. Um, sort of how to do life, how Mm -hmm. to live life fully. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot around that. Uh, But I'm just going to dive right in here with my good friend, Dr. Mary. Um, Based on the book, Mary, Mm -hmm. um, you express in very early in the book, Mm -hmm. in such a raw way that you'd had enough, Mm. that you were just burned out, Worn out. You actually say the word spiritually bereft. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that sounds really like the dark, dark place. Yeah, it like, was. Um, I think of that dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so here we are with this term kind of burnout. Mm-hmm. And I think that the term burnout gets like tossed around quite a bit. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but you were really in a place of burnout. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to circle back to that place, isn't it? Yeah, kind of been there, done that. But to be honest, I have to watch the things that led me to burnout in the first place are still things that I have to kill within myself. Ooh. I know that sounds so deep, but <laughs> it's part of uh, what I have to watch because I find myself sliding to that place of coming close to burnout. Now, I'm much better at catching myself but I do realize it's a perpetual pattern that I sometimes impose on myself based on all sorts of things. I mean, do you have several hours to do therapy with me? Uh, But in in all seriousness, um, I I do want to unpack it because I think in the years that I've been seeing people, not just in clinical care, but also in coaching, and I know you've seen the same thing. Right. We've talked about it. The sheer number of people who struggle with burnout uh, and depression and just being empty Yes. Uh, is the word that they will often describe, is just massive. It's beyond, I mean, I don't even know what the stats are with that. So I think that the issue of burnout is something that we'll need to camp on for some time. We will. uh, In a future episode. So we will circle back to that Mm -hmm. in future episodes. But I wanted to open with that Mm -hmm. because... Uh, like, quite frankly, mm. from the outside, you have it all together. Uh, well. I mean, that's. I think that's how people would perceive you, mm-hmm. is that you have it all together. And I know that's not true. Mm-hmm. And others who have heard you speak, mm-hmm. um, you are so authentic when you speak. Mm, thank um, you. You're at that point now where it's kind of no holds barred, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what have you got to lose now by telling your story? Mm-hmm. In order to help others. Yeah, um, I I wasn't always that way. I know. Um, Part of how I got to the place of burnout is uh, I am a recovered people pleaser. (laughs) Okay, so. I am Mary. I'm a recovered people pleaser. I have been sober. How many days? (laughs) I'm talking about days. 
Um, but we, we joke about that yeah. a little bit, but it's not to cause any offense. Mm-hmm. But we all have kind of these areas in our life right. that uh, create this need to do things and re- relate to the world in such a way mm-hmm. that's kind of false. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, when you, when I put as much effort as I did into putting on a certain front, wearing multiple masks, trying to pretend like I had it all, I mean, it's exhausting. And of course, when is enough enough? Right. And I, and I uh, realized that underlying all of that was this deep sense of shame, the sense that somehow I had to earn people's approval and their love and their acceptance. And wow. it, it's it's in some ways like a drug because you never get enough because as soon as you get some, uh, you empty out very quickly because right. it's not happening internally. It's kind of externally fed. And then you have to go out and get some more. And so at the height of my, what others may see as success, I was running a practice with multiple therapists. I was involved in six different ministries. I was also, I know you laugh, (laughs) I was raising my kids because they would have been um, toddlers at that point. And I was trying to be the best possible wife that I could be, uh, daughter, sister, friend, and all of that. And I was wearing all those different hats. And I I don't think at that time, because with that comes a lot of um, affirmation. Yes. It comes with a lot of uh, validation. Oh, you're such a rock star. You're such a superstar. And it just kind of keeps driving you to keep going, going, going until your body says it's had enough. Because it actually feels really good Mm -hmm. when you're getting that affirmation and uh, you're trying to keep up um, with this ideal Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you can do it all and be all Mm-hmm. To everything and everybody. Mm-hmm. And you hit the word ideal. Why do I need an ideal? If I am worth in myself as who I am, I don't need to have an ideal. But ideal comes because we feel so broken. We feel so limited. We feel so unworthy. Like we don't have enough to offer. Right. That we have to continuously project this other ideal. Yeah. That somehow with that ideal, I can gain acceptance and love. And, um, I don't think I realized how much that drove me, um, like I said, until. So what happened was I had decided I was going to take some time off work because I was just, just physically tired. So so let's just stop for a second mm. and pause there because I'm sure that some of our listeners are going, whoa, mm-hmm. this is me. Mm-hmm. It it may not look like Mary, but I am doing all these things. Right. And I know I'm doing it possibly for... Mm-hmm. This need in me to get filled up with right. everyone's affirmation. Right. So what were some of the physical symptoms that you were experiencing where you went, okay, I got to slow down here? Uh, well, I was experiencing compassion fatigue. Which is? Uh, which is just an emptiness in my capacity to care for others. I was going through the motions of it and I was good enough to be able to do it. But like when you're faking your way through it, it takes even more out of you when it's not true compassion because I had nothing left to give. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I had this constant state of anxiety that I I had more to do. Um, I I think that my friends and family would describe me at that time as quite irritable. impatient. Uh, and I, and I wanted to tune out, like if I, if things got too overwhelming, which would be a regular, uh, occurrence, I would want to tune out and, um, 
read or watch TV or just hide in my room. Right. And I knew that this wasn't normal because I, I actually love doing life and I am adventurous and I want to get out there. So all of these signs, you know, you think as a clinician, I would track, <laughs> I was so busy giving out that I wasn't paying attention to myself and I was ignoring the signs. I was ignoring what people were telling me. Uh, so uh, I um, felt like I had so many responsibilities. I felt like I had no choice but to keep on going, that the world would come crashing down. Right. My world would come crashing down if I don't keep doing what I'm doing. That's how I felt. That's a horrible place to be. It is. Because you feel solely responsible. Well, you know how sick it everything. is. It is so sick that I actually secretly wanted to have some disease. Yes. To give me the excuse to slow down. That's how bad it was. Which is, I mean, thank you for being so vulnerable and raw in that response mm. because, um, you know, you've heard it and I've heard it both in the clinic, a clinical setting, but also in a coaching setting where this idea of retreating mm. um, can look very different. Right. Uh, you know, I hear people just wanting to pull the covers up over their head mm-hmm. um, and then you get much more... Uh, sinister kinds of responses about yeah. escaping. Yeah. And so for our listeners who might be in that place mm-hmm. where they're going, is this me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, how do you slow down enough just to even check in with yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the Lord has given us the gift of our bodies. And yeah. uh, if we pay attention to the signals of our body, that is already a really great place to start. And I think he's given us the gift of um, uh, enough in that our bodies will get to the point where it has no choice but to crash. And uh, I hope people don't get to that place. But if people keep going the way they are, they will crash. Yeah, they no will doubt. get to a place where uh, I've worked with many clients where they've had to be hospitalized as a result. And I, I would hate to see that. But that's the the gift that the Lord has given us of limits physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way. Right. And so when you get to that place, uh, you have no choice but to rebuild from there. And mm. it is actually a really good place for myself personally, because I don't think I discovered how empty I was or how much I was living out of my false self Okay. until I got to that place. And so the journey was not pretty, I would have to say, and, 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 and that'll take time to even unpack the journey. But I look back on that time and I'm very, very thankful for it because it, it helped me to recognize all the parts of myself in my life that were no longer working and that I no longer wanted. And it also helped me to see you know, because when you're successful, and I'm saying this in quotes, yep. uh, it's hard to kind of come to terms with how much shame drives you. Oh, so I think we need to just sit in that for a second mm-hmm. because um, I know people and you know people, and when we coach according with the Enneagram, mm-hmm. right, which is a tool we use, mm-hmm. um, and we identify that shame is a driver. Yeah. They don't connect with that. Can mm-hmm. you unpack the shame piece for mm-hmm. us a little bit so yeah. we get that? Yeah. And I would start off by distinguishing between shame and guilt. Okay. So guilt is just the feeling we get when we've done something wrong and we know we need to kind of repair it. Shame is more um, about ourselves, that there's something wrong with us. Not something mm. wrong we did, but there's something core in our identity that's broken and wrong. And there's a, there's like a... 
an emptiness that's in there. And shame, uh, you know, isn't something that necessarily people feel because shame is such a harsh word. But when I'm coaching people around shame and they will say, well, I don't, I'm not ashamed. I'll say to them, okay, in what ways have you act shame? Okay. That's a question I'll ask them. And they'll say things like, well, what do you mean? Well, the last time that you got criticized, did you get all defensive? Did you feel like you had to make a, a, um, a, a big rationale for why you did what you did? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's shame. Okay. The last time that somebody teased you and you didn't like it and you felt all icky, wh- when was that? That's shame too. So it's, 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 it's pervasive in our life. And I do love the Enneagram. Um, and I, and I love the, the coaching, the training that you and I got on the IEQ-9. Yeah, great coaching. Great coaching, because it's, it's a well-developed um, tool. It's more than a tool system. And we'll put the link to that, yeah. the IEQ-9 um, out of South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will put the link to that in our show notes, because it is, I think, in my mm-hmm. opinion, yeah. the best assessment tool in the Enneagram world yeah. out there. Yeah, and I think what it did for me personally... I mean, I have to be honest, as a psychologist who has done a lot of research, uh, sorry, not research, done a lot of assessments. Yes. Uh, I've used many, many excellent, excellent tools. So when the Enneagram first crossed my desk, I was pretty skeptical because there isn't necessarily a lot of research behind it. Uh, it's more anecdotal. Yes. Um, but I thought, okay, it's becoming very popular. Let's explore it. And then, of course, I went and had myself assessed and I'm like, oh, whoa. The, yeah. the depth of the insight that I gained from that. I, when I got my report, I, my immediate thought was, who crawled inside my brain? That's right. And knows me this intimately. Mm-hmm. It was so on point. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's amazing. So the, the other thing with the Enneagram uh, that, that differentiates it from other assessment tools or personality assessment tools is that it is very developmentally focused. It's about growth. Yeah. Whereas other personality tests like the Myers-Briggs, this is, this is just the way you are. Yeah. And there's no opportunity to go, okay, how do I grow from this? How do I grow in that? So sometimes it makes it ouchy because if you read the report, there's like, oh yeah, I don't like to hear these things about myself. But then again, it's an opportunity for growth. And it ultimately... Uh, it moves you towards greater self-awareness, which allows you to kind of go, okay, uh, in that situation, I continuously react a certain way. It's not helpful now. How can I change that response? Right. Recognizing that it's rooted in my fears or my insecurities or my shame. So how um, now with the knowledge of what you just unpacked for us, um, you know, you're spinning all these plates, you're heading for a crash, mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of praying for disease yes. <laughs> that you could say, well, I've got this disease, so mm-hmm. I got to stop life for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been a good outright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you're at that place and you're recognizing that you're operating out of what you call this false self. Yeah. Tell us about the false self, because I think that quite a few of us right now are going, oh boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm operating out of this false self. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, uh, I'm a two on the Enneagram. Okay. Two wing three. And uh, two again is? Two is, um, well, I don't like the label that they use. It's called the helper. And uh, frankly, um, as I've said to you before, I have the gift of being served. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't see myself as someone who's always out there offering to 
bring a pie to a neighbor. No, but you serve in other ways. Like it's more emotional support. Yes. And re- I would like to describe a two as a relationship builder. Yeah. Uh, so the core of a two, the strengths of a two is just a heart for people, uh, an ability to read people and their needs, uh, and uh, a desire to meet people's needs and, right. to, and to, to help them feel loved. Yeah, I mean, I really, really have the gift of being able to love others. Uh, the dark side of the two is um, how much of that we do in order to feel needed, in order to feel loved. And so uh, I realized that a lot of my efforts and part of the reason in um, running the practice, taking care of clients, six different ministries, family, all of that came out of this emptiness within me, which is the desire to be loved mm-hmm. for what I did for others. So here's the thing. Uh, in any relationship, for me to feel even a bit of security, I have to outgive the other person. Oh, that's tiring. That is very tiring. So if I have to outgive you, anytime you give to me, yeah, uh, I have to not just equally give you back, but give you back more. Wow, that's such a like that's a hamster wheel. Uh huh. Because true. there's no way you can get off that. That's right. And so if you're doing six different ministries, running a successful practice that's growing, mm-hmm. raising children, building into your marriage, plus all the other relationships you have that you're. Like, how do you ever get off that wheel? And it's mm-hmm. exhausting, and no wonder you want a disease. Yeah, well, that's, well... You have a disease, my friend. Yes, well, that's true. It's called people-pleasing. <clears throat> it's called shame, actually. And just to kind of um, pull the um, back a little bit to under, to explain, the Enneagram is split up into nine different numbers. Right. And they each sit in the heart, the head, or the gut. And so the two number two sits in the heart uh, triad, and that's number two, three, and four. And the heart triad, the underlying emotion that we struggle with is actually shame. Okay, so if you have done your Enneagram assessment, mm-hmm. hopefully it's an accurate one you've done, mm-hmm. and you're sitting as in that heart triad, mm-hmm. uh, underlying some of your motivations mm-hmm. is the shame. Right, and it's the sense that uh, as a two, I have to earn people's love and approval by helping them. Right. A three, they earn it through uh, success. So we would see this a lot in the helping professions. Mm-hmm. So if you're in pastoral ministry, a therapist, a counselor, psychologist, maybe you're working in the not-for-profit with homeless mm-hmm. issues, uh, maybe you're working in not-for-profit around women's issues or with children, you could be in this category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it is um, it, for, with a two, um, I'm much more tuned in to the needs of others. And even recognizing that I had needs, <laughs> that was something that I denied. You do? I have needs. Yes, so I do. What, when you were at this place and you come to the point where you're exhausted, burned out, mm-hmm. out of compassion for others, which must have been... Would that be shame-inducing, too, that you've reached that place oh my where goodness, that you can't absolutely. even give to others? Yeah. Um, so I had decided I was going to give myself permission to take some time off. So I had decided I was going to take the summer off. And I had plans of travel, sitting by the lake, you know, glorious times of vacationing. And that wasn't the reality. I started my time off and I crashed. I oh. crashed big time. And that meant... Um, days just lying on the couch, not even being able to get up. Um, 
hours of just crying without even knowing why I was crying, mm. uh, I hid. Yeah. I would say friends told me afterwards that I just disappeared. Wow. And, and that's uh, not like you at all because you show up for your I friends. I show up, but I show up on. Yeah. At that time, I showed up on. I didn't show up vulnerable. I did not actually know how to be vulnerable. And, um, you know, part of what I did in my growth was spiritual direction and did it within a group. And I remember a time of praying where uh, it was the story of uh, Jesus coming to the lame man. Mm-hmm. And the lame man was like, oh, had all these reasons why he wasn't getting into the pool. And... Uh, I remember at that time, as I was praying for it, I was really aligning myself with that lame man. And I just cried out, when is it my turn, Lord? Yeah. When is it my turn? I remember reading this in the book, and I'm just going to read out. Can I read this? Sure. Uh, You say in the book that you felt like the lame man, the scripture, um, at the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, waiting to get the healing waters. You're helping everyone else get there. You're caring for everyone. You're carrying them to the waters. Um, and you're giving out mentally and spiritually and emotionally, but you are lame in all those areas yourself. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus comes to you to ask you what you want, you just say, when is it my turn? Mm-hmm. I'm helping everybody else. Mm-hmm. When is it about me? Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of listeners who are resonating with that. They're probably yelling right now at whatever device they're listening on this podcast, they're Mm -hmm. going, yeah, that's me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm that person. I'm the one saying, when is it my turn? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I can already, I can feel the emotions of it. I can feel it stinging my eyes right now, just thinking about that time, because it was such a painful recognition of my vulnerability and recognition of my needs. Yeah. Um, And um, at that time, through the process of spiritual direction, I remember my friend looking at me Mm. and she'd been praying for me. And she says, I see a wall around your heart. Oh. And she says, what will it take to bring down the walls of your heart? And she says, I have a hammer here, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I would love to be able to crash help you break it down. Wow. But you have to be willing to. And I, that shocked me. Yeah. To think that I had a wall around my heart because I was so busy giving to people. I never thought of it that I was actually shutting my heart from really being vulnerable and honest about my needs. And here you are, holed up in your place by the lake, Mm -hmm. um, not reaching out to anybody. Uh, and I know that you're wired for relationship. Mm-hmm. That must have been a, an incredibly lonely time. Yeah, it was. It was very lonely, uh, but the one thing that it forced me to do was to really get real with Jesus. And so I spent a lot of time just crying out, journaling, because I, I communicate through journaling, uh, and I, I didn't filter it. I didn't try to be a good Christian. I didn't try to say the Christianese. I just kind of let it hang out how angry I was, how betrayed I felt, how alone I felt, how um, rejected I felt. Mm. Uh, and I know in retrospect that they weren't necessarily true in my life, but it was true in how I felt. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really good point. Mm. I think that a lot of our listeners might need to hear that, yeah. is you can get really raw and yeah. you can get really real. Yeah. 
um, in relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to hold anything back. Right. I mean, when we look at the Psalms, mm-hmm. we see David just, you know, railing his fists and crying out, and mm-hmm. uh, he's just like an emotional roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he was completely real. Yeah. He was very authentic. Yeah. It was kind of a no-holds-barred relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think for many of us that have been raised in the church, mm-hmm. we may have felt that those emotions are wrong. That's right. And again, that feeds into that shame model, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think I was so done and I was so empty that I had no choice but to show up with that ugliness, what yeah. I would consider ugliness. And now in retrospect, there is beauty in that. Um, because I had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And um, there was like the Holy Spirit in me pulled me towards that authenticity and, and honesty. And when I did do that, I expected the Lord to kind of kind of slap me a little bit and say like, okay, pull up your bootstraps, let's just go. And instead, I had experience after experience of His love for me. Mm. My goodness, like, he said things like, I delight in you. And I'm say, sitting there um, in my dirty pajamas, hair is a, a mess, crying. It's not crying. Let's just talk about yeah, how, just how the ugly, ugly stuff. part it was. And he's delighting in me. But you know, I mean, you know I have a grandson, right? Yeah. Who's got like a snotty nose right yes. now. Yes, he does. He's got this green little nose and, mm-hmm. you know, it's snot on it. And he, he, he licks it. Like he does this, you know. <laughs> He doesn't know how to use the tissue, obviously, so he's just constantly licking his snot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hasn't got less delightful, mm. right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't, and he's, uh, like, I can look at him with his snotty little nose mm-hmm. and is wiped all over his face and his shirt. He's not less delightful to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And why is it we feel that we become less delightful mm. in our ugly stages. Mm-hmm. Where does that lie come from? From the pit of hell. Yeah. That's yeah. a crappy one. Yeah. Well, again, shame is yeah. there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our identity. There's something wrong with my lovability. That's yeah. kind of where I sit as a two. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's bring some hope into this because mm-hmm. this this is a like it's a really painful place. And yeah. I'm sure that like I resonate with it because of my own journey with burnout. But you're you're moving towards this delight. Mm-hmm. You're moving towards even that knowledge that you can be delighted in. Mm. Talk talk to us a little bit about the upswing. Yeah, uh, and it's not instant. No, no, uh, and you know that was um, fifteen years ago. I mean, yeah. that, it was a long time ago. And like I said, I still struggle to not get pulled into that place of shame and overperforming and striving and duty and all the things that come with that. Um, but I think what I learned at the in the pit was uh, trust, yeah. trusting in the Lord. Wow, trusting in His love for me. And again, it still layers, of course. Uh, but like, I think a deep part of me really accepted that I am loved. And uh, in that, um, my goodness, I can't even kind of spell out the. Steps. There were no steps. It was in relationship. And I can understand this clinically because what I do for clients, and, I, and it's the same for you with mm. your coaching, is you create a safe place for people to show up, be accepted, be cheered on, be encouraged, be real. And there's no rejection. There's nope. no shame. 
And I think that's what I experienced. Uh, and, and in a safe relationship where you could feel so accepted and delighted in, regardless of being at the very worst, that's where healing begins. And what it did do was the, the next step of courage I had to do was I had to get honest with my friends. Hmm. And I remember them telling me they were so sad that I didn't feel like I could reach out to them. Yes. And, um, and, and so I, ha- I have to own that because I chose to go it alone and it was not it was not wise on my part. It was just where I was at. And, you know, as a friend of yours, it's not, um, I think we were sad because you were in that place mm-hmm. and and you were masking it so well yeah. from us all mm-hmm. that we couldn't see the depth of where you were. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, don't add any more shame to yourself about Thank that you. mm-hmm. because there are seasons where all of us hold back mm-hmm. because the energy that it takes. Yes. Right? True. Just the sheer energy mm-hmm. that it takes to wipe our snotty noses Mm -hmm. and show up in a relationship is just too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the reason why my alone time with Jesus was so uh, important. And I think about my journey, which hopefully we'll have a chance to unpack. Like I really got to know Jesus as friend. Um, Later in my journey, I got to know God as my father. Mm -hmm. Um, And but all of that was an invitation to intimacy and uh, safety in the, those intimate relationships. And as I think I really settled myself in, those, in that relationship with Jesus, it gave me the courage to begin to experience it with friends. Yeah. Uh, my husband has been my rock throughout all of this. So well, he his was, name is Peter, after his all. His <laughs> name is Peter, yeah. And he was certainly very present through all of this. I mean, his gift to me was his steady presence through it. He's he's an engineer, so he's not wired for that level of emotional support that I need as a female. Uh, but his steady presence, his acceptance of where I was at, mm-hmm. him giving me space to just go and be snotty and having no demands on me uh, was such a gift. Oh, yeah. And so I think, though, that I also then was able to, out of that, start to be more honest with him, too. And I don't think he even realized the depths of what I was going through uh, because I didn't even know how to share. I didn't even know how to be that open. Yeah, and as an engineer, he would want to fix it. Yes, Right. And, and unfortunately, um, the men in our lives, they like to fix things, mm-hmm. right? So when we go to them with our deep stuff, uh, they take on the burden too. Mm-hmm. And I'll often say to my hubby, you know, I'm just telling you this. I don't need you to fix it. Right. And that's actually great that you do that because my husband has asked me, can you please cue me? Right. Do you, is this head talk or is this heart talk? And he's very, very good now at doing the heart talk as long as I cue him. Right. And I'm also learning because that's the other thing about as becoming a healthier too is beginning to not just recognize my emotional needs, but to take responsibility for them. Oh, that's good. Because part of the, 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 the dark side of it too is that we wish everybody would guess. And we think that it, I'm so good at reading your needs. How can you not read mine? Right. And so I expect that you're gonna, my husband's going to guess. And I'm regularly disappointed when he doesn't know. And okay, he's, so he's let's told go. me that before. He says, I don't know what I don't know. Right. That's so let's go back to that tweetable num, that name. Yeah. Uh, tweetable, you said, uh, oh gosh, now I can't remember. Um, <laughs> Sorry. You're getting, you're getting better at recognizing 
your own emotional needs. And also and, taking responsibility. And taking responsibility for right. them. So how many of us out there yes. are actually taking responsibility for our own emotional needs? Right. Yeah, that was a huge, huge learning. Instead of just waiting for everybody else to notice us, yes. pay attention to us, mm-hmm. um, and then sulk. Right. When and, and feel like we're unloved. I don't like the word sulk, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I was just simply, I was just quiet. Yeah, you're sulking. Okay, I was just sulking. totally calling you out on totally that. I was totally sulking. And you know, as an eight, yes, on the Enneagram scale, which is the active controller. Oh, I hate that. Why? Um, I just do. You um, hate the title, but not hate being a number. Well, I'm, I'm better at it now. Mm. Well, that's for another show. That's for another show, okay. But one of the ways I sulk is by retreating. Mm-hmm. Retreating from relationships, retreating from the fight, retreating from whatever. Right. And then expecting people to pursue me mm-hmm. to find out how I'm doing. Yeah. But oh, you know what? Oh, man. Most people don't go pursue an eight. <laughs> well, it's not just that. They don't realize, well, because as an eight, you can be pretty prickly. Oh, absolutely. So, so why, would, why would anyone pursue you? It's like pursuing a porcupine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but then... Realizing that underneath it is a really, really hurt, oh, yeah. vulnerable feelings. Absolutely. And so for me, owning it, taking responsibility for my needs was actually to begin to ask and to articulate. And to, to my surprise, when I asked, people in my life were actually very responsive. Yeah. Now, I had to let go of how they were meeting my needs because if I prescribed what it would be like, I wasn't giving them freedom to be who they were. Right. And I had to be able to, so for my husband as an engineer who is my steadfast uh, cheerleader and my rock, he shows his love by just treasuring me, by protecting me, by serving me, uh, by um, tolerating, <laughs> to be honest, and being very patient with me. And if I didn't learn to pay attention to the ways that he showed me his love, I would regularly say that he doesn't love me or he wasn't acting love because he's not romantic. He doesn't bring me flowers. He doesn't bring me flowers. Isn't there a song? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, and he certainly doesn't pursue me to ask me how I feel. Cause the, he tells me that when I kind of want to have the talk about my feelings, he says it hurts his brain. <laughs> the talk, the talk. The talk. He hears it and you can see it. He's like a deer in, yeah. you know, headlights, uh, but he loves me enough. So this is the thing. This is the thing. He loves me enough to do the hard stuff of being present to me in my emotional pain. Yeah, because it's causing him it a lot of discomfort. Him a lot of discomfort, but he loves me enough to do it. Now, will he answer it perfectly? Will he soothe me perfectly? No, but just for me, I can recognize that he loves me so dearly he's willing to go there. Right. And that's a gift to me. So in, I mean, this sounds like a marriage counseling session right now, mm-hmm. but there's so much richness in that mm-hmm. because there are people in our lives that are doing the hard work of being there for us. Mm-hmm even though it causes them discomfort. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a, that's a wow, that's a conversation for another day probably, right? So. Like so. how to be a friend, mm-hmm. to can sit in the discomfort of our own stuff mm-hmm. to meet the needs of others. Right. Yeah. That is huge. Yeah. I'm just even thinking about that now in my own life and mm-hmm. how that shows up. Mm-hmm. Like I might have to do some chewing on that later on. Mm-hmm. How... And for me, the hard stuff actually is for me to be vulnerable and honest about what 
I want and what I need, which is kind of a backwards thing to say. Because for me, it's effortless to focus on other people's needs. So for me, the hard stuff was to let myself be vulnerable and let myself be aware of my own pain. Yeah, the um, I think sometimes the opposite is true mm-hmm. for all of our Enneagram numbers. Uh, so for myself as an eight, love to be in control. The opposite thing for me is being out of control, which causes me tremendous discomfort mm-hmm. to the point of pain. But I'm I'm on the healthy side of that where I can let go of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I would love to talk some more about this. Yeah. With you being an eight, because you've talked about the eight having a fear of vulnerability. Yes, absolutely. And this is kind of all what we're talking about. So like, look, let's unpack this another time. But just as a question for you to think about is uh, what masks do you wear or have you worn to oh, protect yeah. yourself? Oh, do we have it's three weeks? <laughs> I got a closet full of masks. Oh, of course. And the thing I have so appreciated is because I've I've known you for so many years <laughs> and I've seen you step into your healthy eight. Mm-hmm. And healthy eights, by the way, are one of the most loving people on the face of the planet. You really are. It's uh getting there oh, yeah. that people don't perceive how loving and like I, I read somewhere that eights are like um uh, uh um Barbed wire fence that's protecting our marshmallow. That's true. Marshmallow heart in a barbed wire cage. Yeah. It's absolutely true. When I heard that, I was like, I was uh, relieved and saddened all at the same time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want to unpack that. Yeah, we will. Um, let's let's do that. So for, for our coaching time today, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, because we want to finish all of our podcast sessions with some coaching, mm-hmm. uh, some clinical insight, which you've given us, which is huge, mm-hmm. but some coaching as well. So number one, uh, how as a listener are you responding to the idea of shame? Mm. Um, because you may have felt that that's not something that you carry, but you know when you said, when you know someone criticizes you, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Or um, what were some of the other things you said about that? Just ask us some questions about our own shame. Well, even just like the the when people tease you and right. you feel all prickly about right. it. Uh, when your house is a mess and you're making excuses to everyone who walks in. Yes. Um, So that's good because I think we can all relate to that. So what are we doing with when we're called out? Mm -hmm. Whatever it's teasing or criticizing or being found in our uh, mess. Yes. (laughs) Right? So number one, what are we resonating with that? Mm -hmm. And I think coaching tip number two Mm -hmm. would be... um, giving some narratives. So what I like to do with clients, because we all have a narrative that we live by, Mm. I like to ask them, when was a time when they they felt the shame? Like somebody walked into their messy house and they felt they had to create a story around it. Mm -hmm. Write it out. Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself the opposite. If you walked into someone's house Mm. and it was messy, would you really care? Right. Hmm. And write that out from the perspective of being the person that arrives. Mm -hmm. And maybe that point you feel unwelcome Mm. because you feel like you've taken this person off guard Mm. and they have to make all these excuses. And 
they're really not at the level of friendship mm. that you need them to be with where they can just accept you mm-hmm. into their home. Right. So well, that's good. That's big, right? Mm-hmm. But that goes deep. And that's what coaching does. Mm-hmm. It allows us to go deep into these things on a level that we can really chew on. Yeah, I love that. I, I think if I were to spend some time paying attention to when shame pops up in my life, uh, I, I mean, I could write a book. I, I did write a book. <laughs> Yes, you wrote a book called The Fully Lived Life. (laughs) So again, uh, in our show notes today, we will have a link to Mary's book, The Fully Lived Life. We will also have a link to uh, the website, Dr. Lynn and Associates, where you can read up on our bios, etc. And, you know, if you would like to, yeah, if you would like to see what the uh, Enneagram is all about, we are going to put a link up to the IEQ9, which is the Enneagram that we are certified in as practitioners and coaches. So until next time, have a great week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Fully Lived Life podcast. We hope you found it encouraging and helpful. Be sure to follow or subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please help spread the word by sharing with your friends and family and posting on your social media. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode.